Good morning, all. Today's reading is taken from the book of Psalm 19, and it's on page 552 of our Bible. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet, their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its want. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The command of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. But who can descend their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock, my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much indeed, Patrick. Please keep open uh, the Bible in front of you. It's fitting to have the Bible open when we're looking at the topic of uh, Scripture, isn't it? And um, just to warn you, we will be um, moving forward into the New Testament early on, and then we'll come back to Psalm 19 a little bit later, and we'll be running through a number of those uh, verses. Let me just repeat the words of verse 14 before we begin. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock, and my redeemer. I used to subscribe to a news magazine with the tagline, everything you need to know about everything that matters. 
It's a big claim. And it's one that the Bible makes for itself when it claims to be sufficient. That's the topic we're looking at this morning, the sufficiency of Scripture. Now, it's not a claim that the Bible says everything about absolutely everything. One of my favorite theologians, John Frame, defines sufficiency like this. All the divine words needed for any aspect of human life. So when we uh, talk about the Bible being sufficient, we don't mean that it can help us to swim unless we have an inflatable one, or that it's a complete nutritional source, unless, of course, uh, we start printing it on a stake. Sufficiency is about a sufficiency of divine words, And it is a teaching of immense importance. The claim is that the Bible is enough for navigating your life as well as saving your soul. See, we may assume that the Bible is sufficient as a highway to heaven, but insufficient for life on earth. It claims to be both of those things. Is that overstating things? It sounds like it, doesn't it? But let's see. First, a clarification. The teaching isn't saying that there's no need of teachers, that there's no need of Bible translations, or no need of tools such as logic to understand. Other things are necessary, such as teachers to explain, Bible translations so that we can read the Bible in the first place, or indeed the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Okay, then, where do we find this teaching in the Bible? Shove something in uh, Psalm 19, because we're going to need to come back to it. But could you move forward to page 1196? And the famous verse is from 2 Timothy chapter 3. Page 1196. And we're going to see in these verses that the Scripture teaches It is itself sufficient. And I'd like to start reading from verse 14 of 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul writes to Timothy, As for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, three arguments for the sufficiency of Scripture are latent in these verses. First, the Holy Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation. In other words, This book is sufficient to save you. Now, if that was all the the Scriptures were sufficient for, it would make this book still the most valuable book in the world. Because salvation is our greatest need for every one of us. We are rebels on a collision course with a holy God. And it is not going well for us 
But in this book, we learn that God has declared an amnesty for any who are made wise to come to the Son, to come to Jesus Christ, who offers forgiveness. It is in this book that we find that truth, and nowhere else. The Holy Scriptures are sufficient to make us wise for salvation. Second, it is useful for teaching and rebuking, correcting and training. In other words, it's, it's sufficient for teaching the faith and the good works that flow from faith, what we sometimes call sanctification. Third, it makes the minister, the servant of God, the man of God literally, thoroughly equipped, not only for some good works, but for every good work. And what is sufficient for the under-shepherd is sufficient for the sheep. Again, a claim that the Bible is sufficient for sanctification. In sum, then, the Scripture is sufficient for life, for salvation and sanctification, for conversion and for continuing in Christ, for creed and for conduct. The sufficiency of Scripture arises out of its purpose. The Bible wasn't intended to be a book on dentistry, astrophysics, or literary theory. It's not sufficient for those purposes. However, it is a sufficient source of divine words for all of, of life, including those things. It provides all of the divine words that a medic or scientist or academic or plumber, nurse, teacher, politician, rugby player, as well as a preacher, needs. Of course, it's got more to say to the, to, to the minister than to the mechanic. The minister needs more divine words than the mechanic needs in order to do their job properly. But Scripture also provides the mechanic with all of the divine words that he or she might need. Now, having um, defined and begun to clarify uh, what we mean by the sufficiency of Scripture, it's helpful for us to appreciate this teaching, which springs from the Scripture itself, as we've seen, was most clearly articulated and defended during the time of the Reformation. The Reformers defended the sufficiency of Scripture against the Roman Catholics on the one hand, and some of the Anabaptists, on the other hand. For the Reformers, both of them compromised the sufficiency of Scripture. The Catholics, through the traditions of men, the Anabaptists, through the words or the revelations of men. And both of these hold warnings for us today, but I want us to also explore a third warning, the wisdom of men. All three, I think, deny the sufficiency of Scripture. Now, as we go along, I'll just plead with you, please listen carefully, because for each of them, I'm going to make some very significant caveats and clarifications. But denial one, the den this is the first way to deny the sufficiency of Scripture, through the traditions of men. And this is the danger of uh, the Catholics and uh, those from the high church tradition in particular, I think. Now, we know that all traditions placed on a level with Scripture 
are to be rejected. You remember when Jesus rebuked the Pharisees, he said, you have let go of the commands of God in Mark 7. You've let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. But the Catholic is bound by tradition and Scripture. Vatican II declares that both Scripture and tradition must be accepted and honoured with equal sentiments of devotion and reverence. That's from De Verbum 9. So the Catholic, the faithful Catholic, must affirm Romans 3 verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and with equal reverence and devotion must affirm the tradition that Mary was sinless. Now that's one example of many where tradition is in conflict with Scripture. But it also constitutes a denial of Scripture's sufficiency because it requires belief in something, Mary's sinlessness, that is not in Scripture. So we should reject tradition with a capital T. Here's the caveat, you see. But we can and should accept tradition with a lowercase t. So things like creeds and councils and confessions are all examples of this kind of lowercase t tradition. Wisdom from the past from which we can learn. But the, the key thing is to understand that all of these things are subordinate to Scripture itself. They don't add anything to Scripture. But the best of them helpfully summarize and clarify and illuminate what is already in the Bible. Just to give an example, many of them talk about the Trinity. Somebody might say, well, the Trinity, that's not in the Bible. It doesn't mention Trinity anywhere. Well, should we reject it? No. Because the doctrine of the Trinity is clearly derived and deduced from the Bible from many places. But if it wasn't there, then yes, we should reject it. So first then, we are to reject the traditions of men that deny Scripture. But there's a second way in which the sufficiency of Scripture is denied, and that is the words of men. Now, this is the danger, I think, of some charismatic Christians, the successors to the Anabaptist enthusiasts. Many um, Anabaptists during the time of uh, the Reformation claimed to have received new revelations of the Holy Spirit that took them beyond Scripture and should be added to Scripture. But Scripture itself warns us against man's additions. So even as we come to Revelation, which is significantly right at the very end of the Bible, it issues a very severe warning. Chapter 2, verse 18. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. Now, almost every charismatic says that the Bible should not be added to. 
They claim new revelations from the Spirit, but they would say that they are not on the same level of Scripture. But it seems to me that if you believe God spoke to me in the moment, it's very hard not to elevate that word to the same level as Scripture itself. In other words, you, could, you can say the Bible is complete and sufficient in theory, but your practice sort of denies that because you're claiming that God is really revealing new words to you. Now to caveat and clarify. There is some new revelation today. For a start, it comes through creation and is wordless. What is sometimes called natural revelation. And that's what Psalm 19 verses 1 to 6 are about. It'd be a good time to just turn back uh, to that. It's on page 552. So it begins, doesn't it? Psalm 19, the heavens declare the, the glory of God. It is a, a wordless communication to the whole of creation. Every time the sun rises, God's glory is declared in some way, in a new way. The world is a word, wordless book, and it is read by everybody. God is still speaking today through his world. Now, let's call, let's call that um, book one, the world. But there's a, there's a second book. We've got the world, but we've also got the word. And this is sometimes called special revelation. And that's also in Psalm 19 from verses 7 onwards. And the reason why we need book 2 is because this book, the world, cannot save us or sanctify us. So we need this second book, book 2. Now it's important to notice that book 2 points us to learn from book 1. In other words, the, the Bible encourages science. Look at the heavens and see God's glory, Psalm 19. It encourages anthropology, Proverbs 6, verse 6. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. So book two points us to learn from book one. So just to clarify... The sufficiency of Scripture doesn't exclude but encourage us, encourages us to look outside of Scripture. So there is no new... So there is, sorry, book one revelation from God, new revelation from God from the world each and every day the sun rises. But there is no new scriptural revelation, no new divine words. And of course, if you think about it, there can't be. The New Testament itself is the final word about the finished work of Christ. If there was more to say, then the work of Jesus wouldn't be finished, would it? Book two is complete. The biblical canon is closed. But one last very important clarification. 
we believe in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He is, of course, the ultimate author of this book. But more than that, he illuminates a scripture so that we can understand it and apply it. And I think this is what charismatics mean when they talk about God speaking. See, every time we open the Bible, God is speaking to us right then in that moment. The Holy Spirit brings teachings and promises and commands and encouragements to us so that we can know God better. We recently studied Ephesians, and in chapter 1, verse 17, the Spirit is called the Spirit of wisdom and revelation. Now, he doesn't deliver new divine words because he has already given us all we need. But he does help us to understand and apply the divine words that we already have and that he has already given to us. So we're to reject the traditions of men and the words or revelations of men. But there is a third way, too, that we can deny Scripture. And I think this is probably our many of our, uh, for us, our biggest danger. And that is the third denial, the the wisdom of men, the danger for conservative evangelical Christians. See, when we come to uh, crossroads in life and need guidance, or we hit a bump in the road, to whom do we turn? Well, for many of us, it's only after we've turned to friends and family and colleagues and professionals and books and the internet, that we might eventually think, well, maybe I ought to open my Bible. I think we're more likely to do that if our problem is minor, far less likely, I would suggest, if it is a major problem. Then we tend to assume that the Bible can only offer us minimal help in those circumstances, that it has little to say about changing jobs or moving home, let alone addictions family breakdown, or severe depression. But the sufficiency of Scripture is a claim that all of the principles and practical insights necessary for understanding people and their problems are in the Bible. As as we've already said, we're not forbidden from looking outside of Scripture. Scripture is encourages that, as we've seen. There is a place for medicine. There is a place for other books. There is a place for professionals who have more time and skill. At the same time, we need to evaluate any help that they might offer according to the Scripture, which I might say is often not an easy task to do. But let's um, go go back into Psalm 19 again, and from verse 7 onwards, because I I want us to see that this is what the Scripture claims, that it does claim to provide all of the principles and practical insights for understanding people and their problems. According to Psalm 19, and what I'm going to do now is just sort of run through for five minutes a verse-by-verse commentary before giving a practical example. So we're going to start at verse 7. Scripture is perfect. That means it's whole, complete, sufficient, lacking nothing. 
And therefore, it's able to refresh. That means transform, renew, or restore the soul. That means the inner man, the real self. And Scripture is trustworthy. It's sure, reliable, and dependable. And therefore, able to make wise the simple. People who lack a proper understanding of life, of God, of themselves, and others. Verse 8, it contains precepts, principles, guidelines, rules for character and conduct that are right, they are correct, they are just and good, they are appropriate and fitting. And therefore they are able to give joy to the heart to experience a sense of well-being, serenity, tranquility and peace. Scripture speaks with commanding authority, giving mandates and directives that are always correct and radiant, beautiful, compelling. They, they make, just make sense of life, giving light to the eyes, able to shine light into the chaos and confusion of our lives, to replace ignorance and lack of knowledge with clear direction, perspective and insight. Verse 9, Scripture is pure, it's clear, it's untainted with evil or error, and enduring forever. It is permanent, it's unchanging, it's relevant, it's up-to-date, it's never outdated. It is never in need of alteration. And therefore, it is able to produce the fear of the Lord, which is the sanest stance of any creature towards their creator. A wholesome, incredibly practical and positive reverence for God. Scripture is firm, it is reliable and stable, and it's righteous. It corresponds to reality and provides insights about God, about man, and about life as it is meant to be lived. It is the maker's instructions, teaching what is right, good, and holy, that which is truly just and fair. Verse 10, being more precious than gold, the much pure gold. It's able to produce in us the kind of prosperity that is more valuable than the riches of the world. And being sweeter than honey is able to remove the acidity, sourness, and bitterness caused by sin in this world. And to produce a sweetness of life that surpasses anything that this world can provide. Verse 11, because of these qualities, the scripture is able to warn and protect us from making a mess of our lives, from falling prey to the many dangers and disasters that can result from an ignorance of what is truly right. And because of these qualities, the scripture is able to greatly reward us. It motivates us to resist temptation and reject error and false teaching, and every other threat to the health and well-being of our souls. Verse 12 offers a rhetorical question. Who can discern their own errors? Implying the obvious answer, only the person who can come to the word. Scripture reveals our hidden thoughts. And Scripture keeps us from willful sins that threaten 
to rule over us. Our lusts, our addictions, our inordinate desires. And finally, it shows us the way to be blameless. Not sinless perfection resulting from perfect obedience. Rather, blamelessness arises when the Bible exposes sin and the sinner confesses so that God may acquit and redeem the sinner from guilt. To summarize, Psalm 19 teaches that Scripture is a perfect and sufficient life guide, including for our problems, both great and small, including for every decision we need to take in life, both great and small. And that means, of course, that those who operate from biblical principles should be best placed to help us. Other things, other people may help, but we need to issue a certain degree of discernment. Now, I just want to get practical for a second and illustrate how the Bible is sufficient for the crossroads of life. I just want us to think of the Bible as kind of two wardrobes, two wardrobes, the the lawful and the unlawful. So let's start with the unlawful. Should I exaggerate my CV to get a job? Should I marry an unbeliever? Should I ignore my aging parents who need my help? No, of course not. Don't lie. Don't be yoked. Honour your father and mother. That's the unlawful wardrobe. We shouldn't even go there. We shouldn't even open that door. But there is a second wardrobe, and this is the lawful wardrobe, and we can open that one. Should I move house? Should I change job? Should I become a plasterer or a pastor? Well, open that wardrobe, and what do you notice inside it? Well, you notice that there's shelves ordered from left to right, from the unbeneficial right the way through to the beneficial. So we say, well, I've got the right to do anything in this wardrobe. And Paul says, yes, in 1 Corinthians 10, but not everything is beneficial. We say, well, I can do anything in this wardrobe. And Paul says, you you do, but not everything is constructive. Some things are more constructive than other things. So yeah, I could devote 50 hours to beating an Xbox game, but there might be something better for me to do. I could move house, but is there a church nearby? I could spend my retirement traveling or gardening or doing my hobbies, but will that actually leave me any time to serve at church? Do you see that these things belong in the lawful wardrobe? But the Bible makes us ask the question, what's the best thing we can do? What are the things that are less likely to mess us up and our families and more likely to help us flourish? Let's wrap up. The sufficiency of Scripture means that the Bible is a sufficient source of divine words for life. And we need to take special care not to deny that, either by elevating the traditions of men, the words of men, or the wisdom of men. 
to the same level as Scripture. Imagine that for just one day, the Lord Jesus Christ was going to visit this earth. He's going to come down from heaven, and as it happens, he's going to appear once and only once at Wembley Stadium. You can imagine the excitement. You'd be wondering, what on earth is he going to say to us all? You'd be wondering, how on earth can I get hold of one of those tickets? How would they be allocated? Prices would be astronomical. Not a few of us would be willing to sell many of our possessions, even our own houses, to get there. The chat beforehand would be about nothing else. It would break the internet. Just picture it. The great day arrives. The world's media are there. It's on every channel. And the stadium is packed. There's there's the standing room only. And the crowds outside are stretching for miles upon miles. And they've all got their mobile phones out, tuned in, waiting to see and hear what's going to happen. And then Jesus walks onto the stage and people begin to weep at his very presence. And as he arrives at the lectern, there is a great hush. People leaning forward, not wanting to miss one syllable of what he says. And as Jesus arrives at the lectern, he picks up a Bible And he says, everything I want to say to you is written in this book. Read it and do it. And with that, he turns and walks off the stage. The Bible is everything we need to know about everything that matters. We neglect it at our peril. We deny it at our peril. Amen.